Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that we are your children, that we are no longer slaves to fear, but Jesus, you have come. You've paid the penalty for our sin. You've set us free. We are covered by your blood. We've been, been embraced as sons and daughters. Lord, help us increasingly to live in your freedom. Help us to turn away from the games of half-hearted living and half-hearted obedience. But Lord, help us to move fully in to the fullness of your grace and your love and your mission and your care. Help us, Lord. So as we open your word, speak to us today. Help us to move forward with you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Come on with it. That was some... Uh, so there's a point in the text today where Peter says, hey, let's just build some tents and stay here. It's kind of what I want to do. Like, let's just keep doing that so you don't have to listen to this dude, right? So, um, yeah, if you'll turn with me this morning to Mark, uh, Mark 9, 2 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back ahead of you. Um, not seat back, underneath the seat ahead of you. It'll also be on the screens to follow this morning. Um, let's read together. Mark 9, 2 through 13. Reads. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, which is hilarious. He said something and he didn't know what to say. That's... That's me, isn't it? Yes. And so uh, when it just goes silent, I just start talking. And everybody's like, stop. Shh. Okay. For they were terrified. End of verse 6. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Love this phrase. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the, that, the matter to themselves, questioning, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This morning, as we look at this text, um, there, there are certain things. When we, we read passages of Scripture, um, we talk about the life of Jesus. There's things that are common that we talk about. The birth of Jesus, right? We, we have a whole season dedicated to celebrating the Jesus' coming, his advent, his, his entering into this world. His, his life, his death, burial, resurrection, right? He, 
We're about to move into to Easter season where we'll, we'll look for weeks at his death, burial, resurrection. And then 40 days after he rises from the dead, his ascension to on high. But kind of caught in the middle of this, there's a significant moment in the life of Jesus that we, we don't always put into it, but it's his transfiguration. This is a moment where Jesus is going to be transformed. And in in our lives, I'll tell you this, there are all kinds of things that we are going to get wrong. Now, if we're just honest, there are some serious things in our lives that we've got wrong. When I was young, I got it wrong, right, when I talked back to my mother for the first time, right? And all the mothers said, amen, right? Yeah. I got it wrong as a teenager the time that I thought I was a man and I could tell my father no, right? I got it wrong. I got it wrong that chicken that was a week old in the fridge, and I ate it, right? I got, it, I got that wrong. I got it wrong when I ordered the all-meat platter in Ecuador, right? And I got it wrong for like three months, right? So there, there's all kinds of things that we're going to get wrong in our lives, and it's going to happen. But I'm telling you this, just listen to me. We can't get Jesus wrong. If you get Jesus wrong, if you decide wrong on who Jesus is and what he has done, there is consequences that are far greater than being in trouble by your mama, being in trouble by your daddy, being in trouble with your stomach, right? There are consequences that if we get Jesus wrong, who he is and what he has done, it just doesn't have consequences on earth. And I'm telling you, it will have consequences on earth. I believe that in many ways we just get glimpses of hell on earth as we follow the prince, right? The the, the prince of of this world, Satan. We we will get it wrong on earth and we'll experience death, destruction, pain, and suffering. But not only will we get it wrong in this world, we'll get it wrong when that last day comes. Judgment will come. And if we have not repented and turned to Jesus and saw him as he is, we will be separated from him forever in a place called hell. We're not, and by the way, hell is not a place where Satan rules and reigns. Hell is a place where even Satan is cast. And the worst thing about hell is there is no God, there is no presence of him, and they are separated forever in torment. And there's these images of hell that are terrible in scriptures. It, it says that it's hot, but it's dark, right? How is there any heat that we even know of in this world without light, right? There's these, there's these pictures of hell as this place of basically the greatest images of torment. That's what the Bible pictures hell as. And so if we get Jesus wrong, there's... No graver consequence in this world to get it wrong. So this morning, we're going to see the identity of Jesus. We've read it in this text. So at this point in the the book of Mark, this is the transition. The the transition. So everything prior to this has pointed to who Jesus is. Jesus is God and man. Jesus is is king. Jesus is is eternal king. He brings forgiveness, rest, power, and unbounded love. But at to this point in the book of Mark, we, we, we haven't seen wh- where's he going, what's going to happen. And at this point in Mark, everything changes. The second half will focus now on his purpose and what he came to do. And simply this, Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus came 
to die on the cross for the sins of the world and the glory of the Father. And so Jesus is going to now move fast toward the cross. And so now, to this point in Mark, we've not heard a lot about his death, really anything about his death, his burial, his resurrection. At the end, Pastor Dave spoke two weeks ago, and Jesus began to turn the tide. If you remember, he asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus kind of claps his hand and says, wow, Peter, huge. You, You must have received that from heaven. This is a heavenly thing you've said. And then Jesus continues the conversations, but the son of man must suffer, must die. And so this is this new thing Jesus adds into this. And he he says it, and then Peter, what does he say? No way, Jesus, you'll never do it. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter goes to heaven and hell in two verses, right? Heavenly thing you've said, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus must suffer and die for the sins of the world. And then Jesus will say, If you desire to come after me, you must take up your cross and deny yourself. What Jesus is saying and what he's going to say is there's no sort of half-hearted Christian. Jesus isn't this kind of God who you can come to on your terms. He says, you're going to come to me on my terms because I am holy. I am God. I'm not asking for a part of you. I'm asking for all of you simply because he's going to give all of himself to this task. And his requirement that he gave is the same for us to give. So there's this transition in the book. Now, in the text, there's three things we're going to look at in the text. The first thing is that we see the identity of Jesus revealed in verses 2 through 4. So if you're following with me, you can write in your blanks. The identity of Jesus revealed. So there's three guys, Peter, James, and John. Peter, now we know a lot about Peter, and we're kind of hard on Peter, because Peter does a lot of things that... Uh, that seem, even like in this text, he's going to say, you know, in a minute, I didn't know what to say, so I just said a bunch of stuff. You know, Peter does these kind of things all the time. But Peter, we we beat him up, but Peter is different than the other disciples because at least Peter said something. Um, Peter walked on water, and there was 11 others that sat in a boat. And Peter knew the great accomplishment of living by faith and walking on water, can you imagine? But he also knew the great failure of sinking in the water. So Peter is this apostle, this disciple that he he lives his life in this kind of fast-paced, go-after-it kind of way. And Peter, what's going to happen is Peter, we know that he's going to betray Jesus and then be restored to Jesus. But Peter is going to be used in the New Testament church in a way that Really, almost no other was used. Peter's going to preach on the day of Pentecost in a way that that thousands of people will come to faith after Jesus ascends to heaven and sends them out. Peter's going to preach this message, and and all kinds of, the church is going to explode from it. He's going to be a part of bringing the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Peter's a significant guy in this. James, um, we, we don't know a lot about James. John wrote five books of the Bible. And, and so in these moments, these guys are going to go up. Now, just so you know about Peter, James, and John, what's going to happen with them, really, I don't think this text has as much to do with the moment they see this, but in the moments ahead as they live their life of faith. How many of you know that life really isn't about these mountaintop experiences, but a lot of times what happens on the mountaintop, we don't forget about as we walk through the valleys, And I think what is going to happen with these three guys is they're going to see this moment where Jesus is seen unlike any other time that he's been seen on the planet. 
really never shining and see, never seen in the same. And they're going to live with an encouragement. And all three of these men will sacrificially die for the sake of the gospel. One exiled on, the li- on an island and two martyrs death for the faith. So Peter, James, and John, they're kind of the, the key figures that are, that are observing what's going on here. He led them up a high mountain, probably about eight, probably 9,000 to 12,000 feet up in the air. So they're going to go up 9,000 feet, and there at the top of this mountain, there's going to be this change. Now, now for me, years ago, I, I, I loved this passage. There's two passages of Scripture that I really like. I love this passage, and I love Moses. Now, Moses was up on a mountain with God, and he said, God, reveal yourself to me. And God reveals himself to me, and he says, go and hide yourself, it says, in the cleft of the rock. And God passes by, and, and Moses, you know, kind of hears God speak. He walks down from the mountain, he's shining. And then this moment where Peter, James, and John are up with Jesus, and they see this miraculous thing. And so I, as, as a 21-year-old, I thought, I want to climb a mountain and have some sort of experience like this with God. Right? Is that odd or weird? I don't know if it is, but I did. And so I went to Alaska for a summer, spent three months there on a, on a summer project with Campus Crusade for Christ. And there was, uh, the tallest mountain near Anchorage was um, O'Malley. There was, there, was, there was little O'Malley and big O'Malley. And so me and a friend, it was an eight-hour hike to go to big O'Malley. So me and a friend, um, we climbed up big O'Malley, and, uh, and so we were climbing, and uh, it was really bad because, like, when we were walking up the first part of it, I'm walking, walking, and my calves are on fire. I don't know if you've climbed mountains or anything. I have never really done that. I grew up in central Iowa, and I live in Ohio, so there's no, there's none of that. And so I climbed up a mountain. I'm, I'm climbing up this mountain, and we're looking back, and there's this older couple that are just, they just keep getting closer to us. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I'm 21 years old. Like, I gotta go. And we're going, I can't, my calves are on fire, I can't go anymore. And this older couple, they just kept going and going. They totally smoked us. I mean, they, they beat us by like two hours up and down the mountain. And so, so we, we get up the mountain, and we climb up to the top, and my, my buddy goes over kind of this way, and I go over this. And I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the highest part that I can possibly find, and literally it's just this kind of jagged little spot that it's this peak. And I remember getting up there, and, and I was sitting, wait, waiting for this and I, I'd been thinking about this for years. Like, what's going to happen? So I get up there, and there's nothing. And I wait a little bit longer, and there's nothing. And then I get sad, legitimately, because this was honestly a thing. Like, I, I wanted to experience maybe something like these guys did in the scriptures. And again, it was just, I got sad. It's like, man, we did all this work. These old people beat us up the hill. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, God, show yourself to me. And so as I was kind of sitting there wallowing in, I hadn't had the experience I wanted. I looked out and I saw the Chugach mountain range, snow-capped peaks as far as I could see. And I looked across kind of the other side of the bay and there was a ghost mountain range and you just saw these peaks. And then I looked out and just as I looked out, the peak of Mount McKinley peaked over about 300 miles away. (coughs) Now there was nothing shining, but it was a moment in my life where it was like this. I am so small, and God, you are so infinitely big. And I, I don't know what this moment was like for Peter, James, and John. Obviously, they were there with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, right? Um, but it was this moment where they're on a mountaintop, and there's this, there's this extreme, right? The Son of Man, the Son of God revealed. 
So, so they led, they were, they were up on top of this mountain, and then he was, and, and in my life, there was a little bit of, right, there, there, was a, there was some significant things I'll talk about in a minute that happened in my life on that mountain, but he was transfigured, it says before them, that Jesus was, the, the word for transfigured is metamorphosis. It's this word that means transforming change. The, the other places in scripture, the same word is used as in Romans 12, where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, meaning that God wants to change us and make us new and make us different. The same word is used in 2 Corinthians 3.18. When he says, and we all now with unveiled faces, so now us under the new covenant, beholding the Lord's glory, beholding the person of Jesus, are being transformed, changed from one degree of glory to another. This transforming nature, and so this word transform, meaning that Jesus was changed, not over time, but in a moment. And in that moment, he was changed, and his clothes became radiant. He was intensely white, like none like, not, like, not like you could imagine, right? It was... The, the scriptures in, in the ESV, it says that it was like no, n- there was no bleach that could match it, right? That there was nothing that could make anything. There was nothing to compare the whiteness of what they saw. It was intensely white. And this Jesus, it, it was, was the brightness. And there appeared, right? There appeared Elijah and Moses. Now, in the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses, Moses and for all time turning, Elijah is the representation of the prophets. He is like the chief representative of the prophets, Moses, in the Pentateuch, we see Moses, the law comes. And so what Moses and Elijah represent in this passage are the law and the prophets. And we also see in Scripture that Jesus is, what, the fulfillment of the law. There was nothing wrong. Jesus had never told a lie. Jesus had never defamed God. Jesus had never sinned, never done wrong. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. He was the prophet of the prophets. Just so you know, if anyone says there are prophets, there aren't any more prophets because the prophet came. Anybody give me an amen on that? The prophet came, and his name is Jesus. And so there is no more prophet. So if you're listening to somebody on TV that's prophesying about something, and they get it wrong, go stone them, right? That's what the Old Testament says to do, right? So, so maybe we won't do that, but, but I'm just saying, there's no more prophets. The prophet came, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the prophet of prophets, right? He has fulfilled the law and the prophets. And so he's in this moment. He's up on the mountain. Moses and Elijah come down. And just so you know, Moses and Elijah are looking forward, right? Because Jesus' death on the cross is going to be their entry into the full fulfillment and final glory. Our, uh, through, through Jesus, we enter in. All people in all time and eternity come to the Father through the Son, you're either looking toward it or looking back, but Jesus is the epicenter of time and history. They weren't, they, they weren't saved by their works. They weren't saved by the, the things they did. They were saved by a righteousness that was credited to them through the person of Jesus Christ, just as you and I are. And so they were, they were talking with Jesus. What we know that they were talking to Jesus about, Luke 9, 28 tells us a little more about it, but they were talking about his departure that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what was this departure at Jerusalem? This was his death on the cross, his departure, his atoning for our sins on Calvary. So in this text, just a little side note here, one of the things, just so you know, are Elijah and Moses, are they dead or alive in this text? They're alive, but were they like living on earth? No, they had died. Well, Elijah didn't, but Moses had died, right? And they, they were no longer walking around on earth when they came down. So just so you know, heaven is real. And there is life after we live on earth. And these were men that retained their names and retained their personalities. And so will you when you die if you are in Jesus. 
just so you know, there's a little bit of a note of, of heaven inside of this text. I hope that encourages you. It doesn't sound like it does, but it encourages me. So this is about me. So, so Jesus in this text, he is the centerpiece. And the, the scriptures say in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way to salvation. There is no other way outside of the person of Jesus. Now, for me growing up, I, I grew up in this way. So um, my parents didn't mean to do this, but I, I grew up in, in the church. I grew up going to church every Sunday. And on our wall in our living room, lived in this little house, and, and the, the TV was in this corner. And then over here, like right by the couch, were these hand-crocheted things my grandmother had made. And it had names of my brothers and their baptism dates, right? So I'm the youngest of four boys, and so you had Mark, Craig, Steve, and nobody, right? Like I, my, my baptism wasn't there. And so I would, you know, it'd come to commercial. The commercials are these things. Let me tell you what these are. So commercials are these things between shows. Sorry. Uh, uh, anyway, so we used to do things, sorry, you guys, I, I like not watching commercials anymore, but you're pretty much a generation that hasn't had them at all, which is wonderful, you should thank God for that, and so, um, so during commercials, like, I'd look over there, and I'd always see this, and, and there was this thing that growing up in the church did to me, and I don't know about you, but it did it to me, is I, I really felt like if I went to church, if I read my Bible, if I got baptized, that if I did more of the good things you're supposed to do in church than the bad things, then I, I got to go to heaven. Anybody else ever be there? Anybody else there in their life? I, I think it's like how we live in relationships. It's, it's like in, in my marriage. If I do more good things for Debbie than bad things, then she'll love me and care for me. Right? We, we do this relationally in our life. She's not like that, though. She's awesome. Even when I do bad things, she loves me. She's great, right? And so... So in these things, we, we, we live this way, but, I'm, but, but hear this, there is no way to be saved but through the name and the person of Jesus. There's no way that any person in this room can work their way to heaven, work their way to God, go to enough church services, do enough Bible studies, be baptized. You, you know, if you're baptized once, twice, I've been baptized twice, my second time was legit, first time I was just doing it to get my name on the wall, literally, cross-stitch, right? Like, there, there's... there's there's no way to be saved but through the person of Jesus. And what this text, what, what's being revealed in this transfiguration is Jesus is different. It's not about Elijah. It's not about Moses. This is about Jesus, and he is the centerpiece. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We are only saved through the person of Jesus. And in this text, what's being revealed is that, that his identity is he is the Savior who has come to redeem us from our sins. See, Jesus is the brightness. He is, and he must die for our sins. The second thing we see is the identity of Jesus confirmed. So we see that Jesus is revealed. In this moment, he shines brightly. Right? He, he radiates. Moses and Elijah, they come down, and they, they come into his presence now. There's this, there, there's a transition. The identity of Jesus is now going to be confirmed because the heavyweight is going to enter into the situation, right? I am. God is about to step in. And so continues in verse 5. In verse 5, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, 
It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. So in this moment, he, he, was, he was freaking out, like, man, what is going on here? Everything's kind of changing. So Peter speaks up, and there's just a side note with, with, with this text. Like, sometimes we just need to be quiet, right? So the, there's, a, like, a, a lesson in this from Peter. It's like, sometimes we just need to hush it, right, like, to, to zip our mouth. So th- this would work this way sometimes, like, um, maybe, like, after church. I'm going to serve myself here for a second. So after church, you come down, and, and you say something like, hey, everything was really good, but, right, we have these but things that we say about different things that we do. I'm, I'm a pastor, so I hear a lot of those kind of things. We have these, like, but this, or we, we're always looking for the thing that somebody says that's wrong. And we want to make sure that everything's perfect and everything's correct. And I'm just going to tell you really quick that when we're these kind of people that are always kind of, kind of trying to look for the wrong in somebody or something, I'm going to tell you that sometimes you might just need to hush it and not talk because what you're doing is you're not revealing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. You're not extending grace and care, but you're looking for something that's wrong because you just want to be angry. And I know it, right, because I know it in me. It's easy to pick things apart. It's easy to just start talking but sometimes we just need to, right, silence is golden. Like, repeat that with me. Silence is golden, right? Like, sometimes we just need to be quiet and experience and see what's happening. So in this moment, now, now some credit to Peter. This was a moment that was really significant. There's only one other time in Scripture where there's going to be this kind of moment, and that was with Moses on the mountain. And what happened after Moses came down from the mountain? They tabernacled God, right? And so the only time that he'd ever seen anything like this before, he was like, hey, this looks like that, and so I think we need to, like, tabernacle this thing. <laughs> like, let's get everybody tense and let's hang out here. I'll, I'll be honest, at the end of worship, I was like that. I said that a minute ago. Like, hey, I don't want to get up on the stage. Let's just stay in this for a minute. Like, let's stay on the mountaintop. Let's stay in this moment of worship. And I think that's what Peter was doing. And so so after he, he didn't know what to say, so he spoke, and then this this cloud enveloped the area. Now, when the cloud envelops the area, this is, a, this is always when God is going to come down. He comes down a cloud, and it's really this idea that he just fills the space. And in this moment, this cloud comes down, and, and God speaks, and he says, This is my son, meaning that Jesus is the son of God, that he is different, that he is unique, he is one of a kind, that he isn't like any other that will ever be. That Jesus is the one who will take away the sins of the world. That Jesus is the only beloved son of God. This is my son. And then this phrase afterwards, listen to him. We live in a time where there, there there are hundreds of voices in our life. There are hundreds of voices that we hear on TV, that we read through blogs, that we read on the internet, that we read through Facebook, that we read through all these different things. And there's all these voices that are pressing into our lives. But I'm just going to tell you really quick, stop listening to them because there's only one voice. There's only one voice that is worth hearing that's in this book. And it's the voice of Jesus. And what God is going to say in this is listen to Jesus. And I believe that one of the greatest tragedies of our day are we are listening to so many people talk about Jesus that we've stopped putting our nose in the book and listening to Jesus. 
The greatest thing you can do this week is, is stop listening to at least one thing to spend more time listening to the voice of God through his word. Listen to him. Now, now for us in our faith, I think one of the, one of the misnomers for us often is that, that we've, we've relinquished ownership of our responsibility to grow up in the faith. He says this, listen to him. This isn't something that God's going to do. It's something that we must act upon in our lives. Now, just so you know, the North Canton Chapel, it is not our responsibility to disciple you. Just so you know that. I don't know if you knew that. That's not, that's not our responsibility. Now, it is our responsibility to provide ways in which you may be discipled. It's, it's these now groups that are happening. It, we're putting things out there because we really believe that parenting is hard. And some of us are kind of stuck in it right now today. Amen, right? Like, we know that marriage is hard. And even those of us in this room that have the best marriages doesn't mean that there aren't times that it is hard and we, we need checkups and help. We know that, that getting in God's word and the spiritual disciplines of the faith are something that we all need to consistently grow in in our lives. We, we know that all of these things are things that we need. But see, our job as a church isn't to, like, grow people up. Our job is to provide opportunities, and we desire and we want to, but until we take ownership of our own faith and we begin to push into it ourselves, we will not grow up. And what this, 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 this phrase, listen to him, he's asking, stop waiting for somebody else to do it. Start moving in and taking ownership of your faith and growing up yourselves. <clears throat> this, this is like the, the critical part of being a disciple is deciding that I am going to own my faith and I'm going to grow up into it by listening to him. It's a willful choice that each of us must make in our lives. So in this text, again, we see the identity of Jesus revealed that, that he shines brightly like the sun. The identity of Jesus is confirmed. God, the I am, comes down and says, this is my son. He's the only voice worth, worth listen to him. And then last, we see the identity of Jesus experienced. We won't see it in this text. But in the end, the identity of Jesus is going to be experienced through what he says he's going to do. So they no longer, so verse, verse 8, verse 8 reads, And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. So there, kind of in this little chunk, he says, they, they, they no longer, the, the mountaintop was over, the, the bright shining was over, and Elijah and Moses were gone. It was the downer of the moment. It was uh, this experience that happened. Like, I was on top of the mountaintop, and I saw around, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this view you've given me, God, I'm so small. That's changed how I see my life. I am not as big of a deal as I once thought I was. God is far larger. And in that moment, on top of the mountain for me, God said, I am huge and you are not, but I'm going to use you to do my work and my will in this world. But when I got done with that moment, what did I have to do? I had to walk back down that stinking mountain. And just so you know, going down isn't as easy as you would think it is, right? Right? 
if you've ever done this before. And so I had to walk back down. And so this is that moment for them. They're 9,000 feet up, and they've got to go now back down the mountain. So, so everything goes away. And as they came down, Jesus said, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody what you have seen. The Son of Man must rise from the dead. And it says in this text, they obeyed him. Then they question, what does this rising from the dead mean? Here in this moment, Jesus says, don't tell anyone because they didn't get it. They didn't understand what the fullness of what had to happen for Jesus. And, and in this, I, I don't know, I hope, I hope in the room today that we get it. That your sin, my sin, our, our choice to willfully rebel against God. Jesus came to take the punishment, to shake the shame, to take our sin and bear them on the cross for him. See, the disciples didn't quite understand this yet. They thought they were just going to be buddies with Jesus. They were arguing about who was going to be on his right and left and who was going to be a part of his kingdom. And what they didn't recognize was that Jesus had to die for them. I mean, church, do we see Jesus had to die for our sins? And because he had to die for our sins, right, he is, he is to be honored above any other. He's to be lived for and worshiped above any other. And then in this passage, they're going to show their confusion, and they show their confusion in what sounds complex. I don't think it's really that complex. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But many things. Um, but I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they please as it is written of him. See, what they were confused about is, see, Elijah, Jesus will confirm this, that Elijah was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born before Jesus, and uh, Elijah was in the Old Testament, and the second Elijah was going to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had come, and they kind of missed that, that John the Baptist was the one preparing the way for Jesus. And so in this, this, the chain of events historically, they didn't realize how close they were to the Son of Man. They didn't realize how close they were to the Messiah, to the Redeemer, because Elijah had come in his second coming through, through John the Baptist. And in this moment... And in this moment, what he's saying is, Elijah has come, and he did die. A horrific death. His, he was beheaded. And in this moment, they were closer to the cross, to their redemption and to life, than they had ever dreamt or thought, and which they still didn't understand. And what Jesus is saying is, I am here, and I am about to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. And I believe in this moment, what happened, what significantly happened is they recognized in this moment, for years and years to come after Jesus' death, that he had said it, that this was going to happen, that he did die, and now it, 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 it propelled them forward in faithfulness. See, we see in the scripture, we see in the scripture two people that kissed Jesus. In Luke 7, there's a prostitute, a woman in great sin. And she comes into the room with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other Cs, and she walks in, and Jesus is laying down on the floor, kneeling, laying at the table. She comes in. She has 
expensive perfume. And she falls down at the feet of Jesus, recognizing that she needed her sins forgiven. She needed help. She needed hope. She needed him. And she took the most expensive possession, and she, with her, the perfume and her tears and her hair, that which she used to sell herself, she began to wipe his feet and kiss his feet because she had made, she, she, she believed, she knew who he was. See, and then at the, end of the Luke, at the end of Luke, we see another person who kisses Jesus. It was a man that had walked. He was actually at the bottom of the mountain when this text happened. His name was Judas. He lived his life with his arm around Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, hearing from Jesus, being a part of the crowd with Jesus. He was with Jesus. He was one of his boys. He was there. I mean, he had his feet washed. He ate the meal. He did it all with Jesus. And then he leaned over to Jesus and he kissed him because he was all about himself and he was not about Jesus. And I just ask you this morning, maybe an application, three things. Decide, surrender, and worship. Judas made it, he made a decision, and his decision that his life was going to be about him. And that woman made another decision, and she said, my life is going to be about Jesus. And she took everything she had, and she fell down before him in tears and true remorse and true repentance. She fell down before him and worshiped him. Tell you for me, I made a decision in my life. And my decision was to fall at the feet of Jesus and give my life to him. Because I needed my sins forgiven. Because I believed that he was the one and true only son of God. And he was worthy of me giving up, surrendering my life to. And I've committed for the rest of my life and the rest of my days to worship him to every ounce and ability that I possibly can because he's worthy of it. I just ask you this morning, have you? See, the identity of Jesus is revealed in this text, is confirmed in this text. And just so you know, it can be experienced because Jesus, he's not looking toward the cross. He died on the cross. It was an actual event in time and history. And when it happened, the earth literally shook and went dark because it was the most important time in all of time and history because all those before and all those after will be saved only through the name of Jesus. And have you in your life made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus and worship him with all of your life? Or are you living your life with your arm around him, doing the stuff. And see, some of these characters that we look at, we're like, oh man, Judas is really, really bad. Just so you know, I was a Judas one day in my life. Long ago, I did all the stuff. I put my arm around Jesus. Everybody thought Ryan was a good dude and did all the right things. But you know what? I had never made a decision to worship Jesus. I never made a decision to surrender my life to Jesus. And when I did, everything changed. And I'm just telling you today, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, today is the day that you can be saved if you will repent of your sins and turn to faith in Jesus. You don't have to play the game anymore. You don't have to live in hiding. You don't have to live in your shame. You don't have to live in your guilt. You don't have to not belong anymore. You don't have to be relationally disconnected anymore. But you can know God. You can be forgiven. And you can be free. And you can worship him. And you can live for him for the rest of your life and for all of eternity. It will be the greatest decision you've ever made. 
And Christian, today, maybe for you, you've wavered from it. You, you're living your life kind of, kind of on your own, doing your own thing, living your own life, and you've got a little bit of Jesus sprinkled here and there. I'm telling you, Jesus wants all of our life, all of the time, every day and every moment. And just so you know, he is worthy of it because he is the only one in which I can be saved through and he is the only one worthy of surrendering all of my life to. So we're going to bow and we're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to stand and sing. And I'd ask, maybe this morning, look at me. If you've never decided, don't go one more day. Don't go one more day. Don't let your pride stop you from signing up for a now group. And don't let your pride stop you from today saying, Jesus, I surrender. Don't let your pride stop you from kneeling at the altar and dealing with what you need to deal with. Today, whatever God's saying, might we deal with it after we pray, after we sing, before we leave this room. Father, help us. Help us to worship you, to honor you with all of our life. Jesus, we believe that you are the one true son of God. Lord, we believe it because your word says so. Lord, I believe it, not only because your word says so, because I have deeply experienced your presence. Lord, would you, would you help us to see you fully as you are, not on a mountain, not on a cross, not in a grave, but risen in victory. Lord, everything you said you would fulfill, you have. And Jesus, we believe that there is no other name in which we can be saved but in your name, Jesus. So those that have never decided to follow you, Jesus, give them the strength today to come talk to me, to kneel at these altars and give their life to you. To those that, that just want to surrender before you today, commit to live lives of worship and increasingly, I pray you give them strength to kneel today whether we kneel at these altars or we sing in our seats, Lord, help us to respond to your word. Lord, we believe it's true. Help it to come to life in our life. This we ask in Jesus' name.